Here to recap a weekend in selfish grand slams and an escape from Minneapolis. It is the Selby is Godcast, starring TJ Zuppi and Zach Miles. What's up, buddy? I've missed you, TJ, but you know, as Enrique Iglesias once said, you can run, you can hide, but you can't escape my love. Which, saying that out loud sounds kind of creepy and predatorial. I would hope that people could escape his love if they didn't want it. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, I'm sure the Twins didn't want to be taken advantage of to the tune of losing three or four to the Indians. But as a result of that, the Indians and Twins are now tied for first place in the division. And we are going to recap it, actually, without any bit of comedy or any sort of uh, sarcasm. It'll be completely 100% straight line analysis right that's what we do yeah no no tomfoolery here well you just got back from from minnesota what were your i mean you, you land on the plane and you step into this podcast instantaneously so it's not like you're too far removed from being in a clubhouse that had to be feeling pretty good considering um not only just the way the weekend went but the fact that this team was once down 11 and a half games in the division Many people wrote them off, and we probably got as close as we're willing to do that uh, in a podcast that we always talk about it being a marathon and not a sprint and never anything definitive in April, May, or June. But I think you and I both thought the more likely outcome was that they were not going to be able to get back in this race to even make it interesting, let alone come back and tie this division and be sitting pretty as they face another tough part of their schedule certainly coming up with Boston and New York both New York teams on the horizon but uh wow this has been a incredible journey to kind of watch and recap on a weekly basis with you yeah so you know how in March Madness like there will be a bunch of upsets and Cinderella's and you know you get to like the Elite Eight and there's like a 14 seed, a couple 12 seeds, a couple nine seeds. And it's like people who predicted that in their bracket are taking victory laps. And it's like, like if you predicted this, you're a fool. Like no one should have predicted this. That doesn't make you smart. Um, and and it, uh, that's an extreme example, but it, in a way it's like, you know, I've seen people go back and dig up others, people's posts from May when they, not necessarily declared them dead, but if, if you used reason, like if the Indians still had Eric Stamets, and I mean, we've gone over this so many times, if they still had Carlos Gonzalez and Hanley Ramirez and, you know, if they still had those guys in the lineup every day, well, yeah, the season might go completely different. But if you look at the roster between opening day and now, it's it's gone, undergone a, a huge overhaul. And you see young players who half the fan base had never heard of coming into this season performing way above anyone's expectations. I mean, it, it's incredible. And it what sunk into me most was I asked Kipnis uh, as, as, you know, they were getting heading out the door to, to board their plane tonight back to Cleveland. And I said, like, does the energy in here, like, does this remind you of the last few years of like a team that knew it was good? Uh, Cause I think it took a little bit. I think they always felt they were better than they played early on, but they had to change out some parts and they had to 
have young guys prove to themselves that they were good. And now it's like, I mean, they, they have this swagger to them and it seemed like they just walked into Minnesota and just like stomp. Like, like they, they walked in knowing if we don't take three or four, that's dis- we're disappointed in ourselves because we know we're the better of the team. And, and I think Kipnis was like, it doesn't remind me of the last few years because there's this new young source of energy and the chemistry is different and you've got different guys interacting. You've got different clicks in the clubhouse. Like, Things are just, it's, it's odd. It's, it's, you know, there's that cliche about the hunter and the hunted and the Indians being in a different role this year, but there's some truth to it. Like they're, they're out for blood and they know they're good and that they could get better when guys get healthy and, you know, young guys get more experience. So it's, I think for the guys who are older, who have been around the Klubers, the Kipnises, the, the Nake wins even. Um, I think it's fun and Santana. I think they're having fun watching a younger team figure it out, watching a new group of guys put it together at the right time and, and start um, peaking in the summer and and proving that, hey, what we were in April, May, that's that's not us. So, yeah, like if you predicted in May that you didn't think this team was going anywhere, like that doesn't make you an idiot. It makes you – a realist you looked at the roster and said hey this team as it stands right now the way they're playing the, the people they have the positions they're being put in like this doesn't look like it's going to work out but give the team credit for with all the injuries they've had all the adversity they've had somehow turning this into a season where with seven weeks to go they're tied for first place and have one of the best records in baseball well we always said the season had to be it had to be meaningful in one way or another the the less preferred way it's meaningful is that you eventually turn it up to young kids when uh, the division is um, has been decided and and the last thing you want to do is be going through a season where it's clear you're not make, gonna make the playoffs and you're just running out veterans when they're not part of your future and you're not really answering any questions long term. That was one way where this season could be meaningful is if they did back finally turn things over to some younger players and they got some experience and kind of answered some questions about 2020 and beyond. And we talked a lot about that when we first brought this podcast back, but the more preferred scenario is that they turn things around and they start winning and that's how it becomes meaningful and credit to them. They've done that. But I even think about, and I think you, I think you said this Zach, when the Indians kind of got themselves right in a little bit is before they really got, you know, sunk their teeth into this run that, a lot of our perception of the way the season was going was dictated by the way the Twins played. Because you looked at what the Indians had done compared to what they have been doing over the past several years. It wasn't too too far off. Maybe it didn't give you the good feelings. But record-wise, it was kind of close to where they had been in the past. But it was so glaring when you looked at what the Twins were doing playing 650, 700 baseball at points this year and the Indians trailing by double digits in the division, well, of course you're not going to feel good about it. Um, it's th- this wasn't like it had been in years past where they didn't have a legitimate person, a team, trying to come after them. In this case, they were significantly behind Minnesota. And I think that kind of framed some of our thoughts about this team. But most of it was real reality. The one thing I, I do want to, before we go any further, because we've talked about in the past, 
move forward from the offseason and to talk about positive things, we're always going to have to acknowledge the things that they could have done better in the offseason, the, the places they could have spent money, the decisions that could have gone better, in addition to the things that they did get right. But we always kind of said that don't you just acknowledge that, put that in writing, and then move on because nothing is going to change what happened six months ago. It's now about how you get better from this point on forward. And why can't we do that with everyone's thoughts about what this team is going to be, all the tweets that are out there that people want to retweet? Can we grant some element of amnesty here so that we're all kind of – if they can snap and erase an 11-and-a-half game lead, can we just snap and erase everybody's thoughts up to this point and say they're tied in the division, things have gotten – dramatically better and so let's grant some amnesty to all of the hot takes that were out there and all agree to be on the same page moving forward and what happened in the past happened in the past can we stop just between the two of us can we do our part to grant that element that i think is necessary from here on out yeah i mean i i think it's childish to go back and taunt people who said who were frustrated with the indians you know not not even just writing them off and saying the season's over, which no, you probably shouldn't do unless it's maybe they were like 18 back. I don't know, but it's things change in a baseball season. I I got mocked by another Cleveland sports writer a couple of years ago for saying that every team and every season has ebbs and flows. And if you're going to overreact to every ebb and every flow, you're never going to survive. And I, I remember it like not even replying to that response because it was just proved to me that that person knew nothing about baseball. I mean, it's 162 games. You get an off day like once every other week. Like, guys are going to go through ruts. Other guys are going to go through hot streaks. And you look up at the end of the season and you see players' final numbers or a team's final standing. And it's not just that, you know, it's why, like, like the Twins weren't going to play 700 baseball the whole way. You know, you're going to look up at the end of the season and maybe they'll have, like, 95 wins. And that doesn't mean that they played a 95-win pace the whole season. Um, so when you look back on a season, you evaluate them as if they did, you you don't think about, well, they got really hot at this point, really cold at this point, they treaded water here. Um, and it's fine. Fans want to want to react. That's what you do. I get it. But it's just like, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's, you had two months of a sample size where the Indians looked like a very average at best team. And they were going to continue to be that if certain, like if Jose Ramirez didn't turn it around. How many people wrote off Jose Ramirez? Those people feel pretty foolish now, right? But you know what? You don't have to feel foolish. The guy was in a slump for nine months. It's understandable. Who, like people would ask me on radio shows, is Jose Ramirez done? Like, is he ever going to get it back? And I said, the hell do I know? Like, <laughs> if, if, if I knew the answer, then he would have known the answer and he would have turned it on by now. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it's, this is how baseball goes teams do this look at the freaking new york mets who the indians are going to play next week like that's going to be a series of two of the hottest teams of the summer who the hell would have thought that at the end of may so that that's how baseball works that's why i know it's really difficult to do um it's easier from our position because we're it's our job to be objective it's our job to to be able to put things in the right perspective to try to help fans better understand the the inner workings of the team but um you know, just enjoy the journey for what it's worth because the the worst thing you can have is a season like 2018 where none of it mattered until you got to October. And so no one cared about the ebbs. No one cared about the flows. Everyone just cared about 
wake me up when it matters. And when it mattered, nobody woke up the Indians. And that was that. This is so much more fun if you're a fan. It's so much more fun to cover. It's so much more fun for the players. Uh, So, hey, the Indians are scorching hot for the last 10, 11 weeks. Enjoy it. Who cares what you said in April and May? doesn't matter. Yeah, I think that's that's the rule we're going to put in place now from for this podcast. What everyone else wants to do, everyone else wants to do. But I'm going to do my part, and hopefully you're going to do your part, and let's just grant that can amnesty. I, yeah, can I add one thing, though? You know, you mentioned there were two routes, right? You can, you can call up your young players, let them get their feet wet, and, and get a better idea of what you can do to make yourself better in 2020. Or you can just hope guys turn it on and, you know, you make this run. Well, what's crazy is they've accomplished both. And I think the reason why fans are so much more excited now maybe than they were a year ago is because it's like, all right, Plesak and Savali, they've got their feet wet. So you're excited about them for 2020, and they're already passing all these milestones in 2019. Like Savali, who is Kluber except less engaging, (laughs) um, if that's possible to believe. Uh, Savali, like, just had the most pressure-packed start of his career, right? So now, hopefully, if you're the Indians, like, you don't worry about him going into freaking Yankee Stadium facing that lineup this week and, and having a start. Like, that's that's a great checkpoint to have, and, and he passed it, and now it's on to the next one. I mean, Bieber has accomplished everything under the sun. You don't worry about him anymore. The, I thought the way Clevenger and Bieber pitched in those first two games in, in Minnesota, like, People have been talking about, okay, like we feel comfortable with Clevenger and Bieber going into a playoff series now that Bauer's been traded, Kluber we don't know about. Well, I think after the way they pitch, and I'm not saying that the Minnesota series just, all right, like the Indians are ready to, to win the World Series now, but it gives you confidence those guys can handle those sorts of situations. And, and so it's, it's, it's encouraging for 2019. It's encouraging for 2020 and 2021. And um, you can see – They've accomplished two things at once that few teams ever do, and that's get younger, get more inexperienced, and somehow get better. And it helps you in your present and your future, and that's where the Indians are sitting right now. We got a little bit of the taste of the Clevenger. Well, actually, it was a pretty big taste of the Clevenger can handle the big moment when he pitched against the Astros last year when he was absolutely – Sure. When he shoved in that in game three uh, at home. He was spectacular. Of course, we know what ends up happening. To blow out, and it kind of gets forgotten, but he certainly was able to demonstrate that he's more than capable of pitching well. And and usually the case, as these things go, we get so focused on what was clutch, and is this guy capable of hand- – well, are they good? Because if they're good, they're probably capable of it. And if they're not so good, then they're probably not going to be capable of it. But in small sample sizes, crazy things happen. And that the- goes for teams too. People well, always say, like, yeah. oh, you just got to get in and get hot. And it's like – well, the better your team is, the better the chance you have of getting sure. hot. Absolutely. Doesn't – as we've seen a thousand times before, and we never seem to learn from, but I mean, it, it does prove itself every single October. The thing that I think is important to know, you said the Twins were going to play 700 baseball the rest of the way. The thing that has stood out to me is that it – what. it has looked like the Twins have imploded, but have they really imploded? It's just kind of been meh. A stretch like a lot of teams go through throughout the year. It just took the Indians playing as well as the Twins did in the first two months to catch up with them. And that's really what blows me away is that it wasn't like the Twins 
fading like the 2011 Indians did. No, 2000. Well, 2011 too, but 2012 Indians, Ugh. where they went through what five and 22 in August was five that five and 24, five and 24. Yeah, it wasn't like it hasn't been like that that got the Indians' foot back in the door. It's because they kicked the door down themselves, and I think that's uh, admirable for sure, and really a fun part of this. Uh, not so fun if you're a Twins fan, I'm sure. But the other side of this is just because the Indians have played well now doesn't mean they're going to play 700 baseball the rest of the way either. Uh, it's foolish for anyone to just expect that something you've seen recently is going to be what continues. And I think, and maybe we even get caught up in this, although I think both of us kind of agreed that the twins were good, but they weren't that good. Uh, and that it was a good, just because it's baseball and we see this every single year, the odds were pretty good that they were going to come back to earth at least somewhat. But I think there were a lot of people that just expected that that was the new norm for them. And the one thing I do want to caution everybody is don't just believe that this is the new norm for the Indians either, uh, because they are counting on a lot of inexperienced guys. I don't know how Zach Plesak is going to respond when he gets pitches into September. You know, we saw last year with Bieber where he would get deep into some games and kind of fatigue a little bit. He even said he would get tired towards the end of some games and, it's not because he's not working hard. It's because he's never been in this position before. His arm has never had to respond like this before. You don't know how young guys are going to be able to pitch into August and September, and they're counting on a lot of guys right now that none of us really thought were going to be on the radar at any point this year. And I don't know what Kluber's going to be when he comes back. Who knows if Carlos Carrasco is going to be a factor. Uh, but to be where they're at today, I, I don't want to lose sight of how impressive it has been that they've even gotten to this point. Like, regardless of what happens – I think that they have done this is – I'm not going to say is it, it makes it – we can debate what makes a successful season on a different podcast because I think it's a really deep topic that you can spend hours upon. I'm not going to say it makes it, oh, a successful season, but I think it, it, it makes it an intriguing season. It makes it at least fun to watch from afar and fun to cover and fun to see these guys on a nightly basis the way that they've gotten back. If, even if they don't win the division, that they, the fact that they have done this uh, has really impressed me beyond belief to a point where I never thought this was – I legitimately never thought that this was possible. No, I mean I – well, part of it is you enter this season thinking, all right, well, they hung on to all these starting pitchers, so that's going to have to be the bedrock of the roster and carry them into <laughs> who knew that it and... would it would be but it wouldn't be the guys that you thought <laughs> right so that's that's i think that's what's most mystifying and impressive at the same time i mean it doesn't matter who they bring up and we've talked about this they've created this pipeline where they have a certain profile they identify in the draft they have such a standout pitching development system um and it's it's working wonders and credit to the catchers, Roberto Perez and Kevin Ploiecki, too, who have done an incredible job with the staff. I mean, Carl Willis, everyone thinks that Trevor Bauer was the pitching coach and Carl Willis just, like, stood off to the side eating an English muffin or something. But, like, he's... he's he does love himself an English muffin. <laughs> he's <laughs> and he's really, had he an influence. He's had an influence here on, on, on this staff. So, um yeah, it, it, the division is weird. I, I came away thinking those were four really competitive games. Even as an objective observer, rooting for a story I had in mind and not a specific outcome, 
the games Thursday and Sunday were stressful as hell. I mean, those take years <laughs> off your life. I can't imagine like Indians fans sitting at home watching living and dying on every pitch, especially Thursday too, because that was like slowly bleeding the lead away and hanging on for dear life. Sunday, like you could tell Brad hand didn't have it and just took a few hits. And that was that. Although <laughs> with the relay put man, kudos to you Indians fans who uh, made it through the weekend without, you know, drinking too much or, going through 24 packs of Marlboros. Um, but but I, I just came away with the thought that these teams are really even. And I can't fully assess it yet because the Twins lost Nelson Cruz. They didn't have Byron Buxton. Sam Dyson's out. The Indians obviously don't have Corey Kluber. Um, we don't know about Carlos Carrasco. Like I think their bullpen is going to get a lot deeper and better in September. It's going to be interesting. I mean, we spend so much time wasting our energy sizing up the schedules. Oh, they, this team. And I know the Tigers and the Royals suck. I get it. And that gives the twins a bit of an advantage. But when we do this, we never, we never consider the team we're talking about. Like, yes, the Indians have to play the Red Sox who have been shitty as hell lately. No one, thinks of that they just say oh they're the Red Sox they won the World Series and like that's it's going to be a tough three games but I think the Red Sox are more thinking fuck we got to go to Cleveland and play the Indians who have been the hottest team in baseball for the last two and a half months and who have amazing pitching we're gonna have to face Clevenger and Bieber damn it like that's not gonna help we're trying to hang around the wild card race but we don't people don't talk about that they just talk about, I hope oh. I hope a Red Sox player just gave that whole speech as they got on the bus today. <laughs> yeah, and like, <laughs> damn yeah. it! <laughs> like, I, I know the Indians have to go to New York and they've got to play the Yankees and the Mets. Um, but like, people were saying, oh, that August schedule, like that's going to get them. They, they beat up on the Royals and the Tigers, and it's like, okay, well, it's the middle of August. Like, when's that tough schedule going to rear its ugly head and doom the Indians? And it might. It still might. But give the Indians some credit. And when you talk about sizing up the schedules the rest of the season, and do the same for the Twins, because the Twins are a good team too. Consider the teams you're talking about. These teams have what, like the fourth best record in baseball behind three Goliaths? Um, It's okay to give those teams some credit and think, yeah, like the schedule's not easy, but the team is really good too. So it'll be, they'll be, it's fun baseball in August. This is what we dreamed about last summer. It never came. I think you bring up a good point about playing the the competition or lack thereof in the central. Cause I did hear a lot of, well, the Indians were hot, but they, they did beat up on Detroit and Kansas city and Ch- Chicago. You know, okay. True. That, that's, there's no denying that those teams stink. What are they supposed to do that? But also it's not like playing those teams and winning 60% of your games. Yep is what is expected because then you play the good teams and you kind of figure you play 500 if you're if you're you know actually legitimately a contender you're probably hanging around that mark and you're beating up on the bad bad teams to a you know you're winning 60 to maybe 65 percent of those games and if you're doing that you're feeling successful like yeah we're doing what we're supposed to be doing the indians didn't just do what they were supposed to do against bad teams. They were just obliterating them, just knocking them silly. You don't continuously win as many games as they did and not get some credit for it. 
there's still I – I know looking at the rosters, it, it does confuse you sometimes. There's still major league teams in a, a game that is based on randomness in small sample sizes where anything can happen. David Ross can hit a home run off Andrew Miller in Game 7 of the World Series. No, Crazy that would never happen. Shit happen. Rajay Davis can choke up and hit a ball over the left field fence against Wallace Chapman. I mean, oh, that would crazy, never happen. Crazy shit happens in this game. Um, so I do want to give some credit. Like the I Scranton know, Paper Company could win 109 games and lose in the division series for the third consecutive year against a shitty Hartford team that won 86 games. HPD is out. stupid. Do not join HPD. It's a waste of time. Zach just quits when the going gets tough. Uh, We've won 109 but, or more games five consecutive seasons. I feel really bad. No titles, only one World Series appearance. What? What? Well, my Chicago team is 109 wins, and they're playing a game five. We're one game away from being in the same position as you. Okay, so same position. Get back to me in four seasons and two right, well, more first round losses. What about my Minnesota squad that won 140 games and? lost in four games in the AL. Yeah, I mean, that was anyways, uh, people want really want to hear about our hardball dynasty leagues for sure. Yes, they do. But I, I don't want to get it lost. Um, yes. The Indians are supposed to beat up on the bad teams, but they did it to a, they did it to an extent where it's like, okay, yes, they're bad, but Holy shit. The Indians just knocked them silly. And I don't, I don't want to lose sight of that because it's difficult. Even if you're playing teams like Detroit and Kansas city and Chicago regularly, Teams that the Twins will get to play again uh, and have been playing this year. Uh, I think it's important to note when you're winning like 80% of those games, 90% of those games, that's impressive no matter what. And I, I saw way too much of, well, the Indians have played a bad schedule. Yeah, but they played the hell out of that bad schedule. Right. It's not like they're on pace for 89 wins, and most of those are against the Tigers, Royals, and White Sox. Like, they're on pace to win almost 100. You don't do that just by fattening up against – the cellar dwellers. And another thing that bugs me too is people just cite this broad stat about, oh, this is their record against teams against or above 500. And it's like, okay, well, when they swept the Angels, I think the Angels at the time were right around 500. And then after the series, they were under it. So does that count as you're above 500? Or is it the Indians' fault that now it doesn't count? Like, what about when it, they play Texas? Well, Texas is exactly. good, not good. Right. right. And and like, okay, well, what about the, the games they played when their roster had like seven of the 25 people that are on the roster now? Are we going to hold that against them? Like stats like that are so stupid. And that's again, like, yeah, if you're going to judge the entire body of work from the season, then you're going to include shit that doesn't matter. And you're going to overlook stuff that does matter. And and it's just, I don't know. There, there There's no simple, easy, concise way to evaluate what a team is going to do. You can guess, you can see who's feeling good at the plate and all that stuff, but that's why this game is so unpredictable is because you have all these different variables and all these different matchups every single day. Like it, it's, if you think the Indians are going to just get swept and, I, and maybe they will, but if you think they're going to get swept in October because they're like 19 and 22 against teams that are above 500 this season, then that's, you're going to need a stronger argument than that. This is also, I mean, this comes after we witnessed the, the Houston Astros de-pants and demolish the Indians in the ALDS last year. And I think you and I both looked at each other after that series and went, who in the holy, you know what, is going to beat the Astros? And then they won game one against Boston and never won a game again. 
uh, in the ALCS, right? That, I think yeah, I'm Verlander that also right. got his tits torn off against the Orioles today, which uh, proves again anything baseball. It's weird. It's random. Is he having surgery to have them put back on, or is he just going to pitch without him for the rest of the year? How's uh, that going to work? Just band aids. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, thoughts and prayers are with Justin Verlander and his tits. Um, I don't have a successful way to transition out of that, so we're just going to move forward with any thought at all. Uh, Yasiel Puig has been fun to watch. Huh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what, I mean, what am I speaking of tits? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the transition is. I think you got it. Uh, so, so many people have asked, like, is there any way, can they just re-sign him for two or three years? And people have done all the math to figure out the, the payroll come next spring and whether they can afford Puig on a three-year contract. And like, here's what I can tell you. He's been here for a week and a half. It has been exhilarating. It's been so much fun to watch. It's been exhausting. (laughs) And I don't know if his teammates, his coaches, reporters, I don't know if like it's possible to handle him for three more years just because he is so much. He is so he's got an endless supply of energy. I mean, it's 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 so entertaining on the field. I said, like, just give me, you know, we see all these stupid sitcoms. It's like, okay, how many times have they tried to remake Seinfeld and Friends just repackaged as as something else? How many times have we seen the same reality shows over and over? Just give me one hour a week of Yasiel Puig running the bases and pissing off defenders and waving goodbye to them. He was the first person in Major League history, this is according to the Zach Meisel Sports Bureau, to ever advance from first to third without ever looking at third base. Like, he ran 180 <laughs> feet the whole time his the outfield, waving goodbye to the Twins defenders, smiling, looking at the dugout. Never looked at third base, but somehow find it, found his way there. Like, Thank God no one moved it while he was running. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's he's very entertaining. And the thing that has stood out, and, and I understand, I think, you know, one player, when the trade went down, one player told me, like, he had heard through the grapevine, Puig's the kind of guy who you love, most of the time when he's your teammate and you hate most of the time when he's not. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's, I can see that him in the clubhouse has been so eye opening because we've seen it with different trade acquisitions. Like remember Jay Bruce came over and we saw him like the first day in Minnesota uh, teasing Jose Ramirez. And it's like, wow, if, he, if those two can get along, they speak like 11 of the same words. Like, that's impressive, and this guy can get along with anybody, and that's that's a great addition in August. Um, I'm counting the 11 words. <laughs> Home, run, pitch, Mario Kart, bro, uh, I'm out. No, to, to be fair, Jose Ramirez knows a ton of English, way more than anyone would think. And for those people who are going to say, oh, then why doesn't he just speak English in interviews? And it's like a lot of Latin players know English. They're just – not necessarily comfortable or confident speaking it in front of a camera, in front of a TV audience, in front of reporters who are recording it and are going to write yeah. down what he says. And it, it's really, I mean, think of how many, how many rookies come up sure. that aren't comfortable in front of a camera and they're speaking their native language right. in English. 
So yeah, if you go up and say something to Jose Ramirez, of course. he's he can reply to you in English. It's just it's a totally different game. So people who complain about that find something else. Anyway, uh, Puig like the is, word escape. Uh, anyway, something other than that too, please. Puig has gotten into he he is teased or by or laughed with Roberto Perez, Tyler Naquin, Framil Reyes, Francisco Lindor, Oscar Mercado. Like the list goes on and on. Mike Clevenger, um, he has endeared himself to everybody in that room in such a short time. And after wins, he is having the time of his life and everybody's laughing. And this is different. This is new. I mean, this has always been a pretty tight knit clubhouse, but with a couple different clicks and, you know, just guys who are professionals and go about their business and whatnot. But like, this is like Hypnos said, like there's a new youthful energy and I think it's helping them. And I, and I think it helps too, that Puig has done a lot of damage in the middle of the lineup. Yeah. You're going to accept pretty much anything as Tito said, when the guy continues to run left on the bases or, you know, go three for four hit bombs or RBI doubles or chuck guys out of the plate, still floored why the twins what two days ago sent the runner to the plate with i mean Puig, everyone knows puig's got a gun and he's more than capable of throwing guys out of the plate with his right arm so completely surprising and shocked but still fun to watch guys who have a cannon and you mentioned the the two relays from sunday's win which saved the game and it, it's obviously going out way too far on a limb to say it saves the season or saves the division. But think of how big of a swing that is where you win the first two games of the series, you even things up, you're now tied for first place. You drop Saturday's game. You come into the ninth inning of Sunday trying to take three of four. You've got your closer on the mound, and he gives up the two runs. And if either one of those throws goes awry and goes sailing somewhere else, as a relay throw is wont to do, it's why I don't mind aggressiveness on the bases for the most part, because you do have to be perfect when you're making those throws. But if one isn't perfect, if Naquin doesn't feel the ball off the wall with the bare hand, if he drops it for a split second or anything goes wrong, you're back to two games from behind the twins. Nothing changed in this series. And while you didn't fall further behind, that's good. You probably feel like you've missed a really big opportunity and a two game swing has to feel huge at this point of the season and god the division shaping up the way that it is two games in the standings could be monumental when you get to september so those two throws and to throw a guy out at the plate save the game send the game to extra innings and then carlos santana selfishly to step up and instead of just keeping the line moving hit the grand slam to clear the bases and kill the rally uh being facetious of course for the one guy on twitter that's too idiotic to figure it out uh (laughs) But for all yeah, of that you didn't to happen, answer his question about what you would do if you came home and there was a supermodel <laughs> in lingerie on your bed. Uh, I think we all know the answer to that. Um, I would stay faithful to my wife. And you would ask her if she listens to and subscribes to the Selvia's Godcast and wants and to support, she can the, support podcast. the podcast over at Anchor. Yeah, absolutely. Hit the bell. Uh, but all of those things changing just based on those two throws, I think it can't be overstated just how important that play was. And who knows, maybe maybe the Twins will come back here and win the division by six games. Maybe the Indians will blow out the Twins. Maybe that won't ultimately be that big of a factor. But I think there's, the odds are pretty good that you'll look back on this season 
And if you mentally check that box now to remember that play, that's one you might want to check back on when you see what ends up, what does end up happening and think, wow, that was, that could have been a play that helped define the season. There's usually only a handful of them over every single year where you just remember it. And that one probably should go down as one you will, because as I said, that's a huge swing to either leave, leave Minneapolis in the same position you were or leave tied and having, uh, I'm sure shifted the confidence level a little bit within that twins clubhouse. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you go to spring training and you watch, especially in, in February before games start every morning, they do these defensive drills and it's like, Oh, I remember doing this in little league and you know, it's good practice and that's cool. But like, these guys are pros. Like, do they really need to do this? And then a play like that happens today at the most significant moment of the season. You're right. And it's like, ah, that's why they practice that over and over again back on field two in, in Goodyear. Um, it, it's, they, they executed it to perfection, and you're right. I mean, that's when you look back on the season, if it pans out a certain way and the Indians win the division, you, you're, it, it's, it is a two-game swing. I mean, it, it's, it can't be underscored. I know there's 44 games left, 45 games left, something like that. But it's it's significant every time you play the twins now it it they all count for one but they really do count for double because you're controlling your fate and theirs and that's to win three or four a four game series is so tough because it's so easy to split and the way the indians won those first two games especially on thursday i mean it that took blood sweat and tears to to survive that um, and then Bieber goes out and gives a great effort Friday night. And it's like, okay, like, I mean, you had Odorizzi against Plutko. Like, it's not surprising the Indians lost. It was a close game. Okay. But, like, going into Sunday, Savali Berrios, you're like, all right, another advantage to the Twins. But, yeah, to the, the swing there between being tied and being down two and feeling like you went to Minnesota and all you got was this lousy T-shirt, uh, that, that's a big difference. And it's crazy – quote unquote game of inches, but like it it literally proved you right there that it is. I think you usually leave Target with more than just a t shirt, don't you? Uh I don't know. No? Trip to Target doesn't have you like going up and down every single aisle and looking for something. No, I only go to Target look if for? I need something specific. I know people do that. I don't I don't I don't love shopping. Yeah, but Target's a different animal. I feel like it's it's not quite shopping. It's it's more of an adventure. No. I do go I do though get a dry fit t shirt at every ballpark I visit. So I I know that. That and phrase was literal cheat. for me. When did I cheat? <laughs> Arizona? There have been ballparks that you have ordered stuff online later. I mean you went to the ballpark. If the team shop doesn't find... have what I'm looking for, yeah. Right. Yeah, but so what? So it's kind of cheating. You were there, but you didn't get it from the trip. So I don't know if that actually qualifies or not. What do you do? What do you do with all these shirts? Because I don't. <laughs> it's like you wear them to the ballpark. It's like you're no, I wear them. them under you, your clothes. you know what's funny is I wear them, like in the morning, take out the dog, or I'll go. I'll walk the dog in the park most days when I'm home. Um, and so the funny thing is, I wonder if my neighbors are like, 
man, why does this guy love the Orioles so much? Like, <laughs> Look at this front runner. He's out there wearing a Mets shirt. Yeah. Yesterday and, I saw him wearing. Well, and sometimes I, I just pick one randomly and I don't even pay attention. It might just depend on what color shorts I'm wearing and what matches. And it, it, it'll dawn on me after I'm already outside. And like, like I've worn a twins shirt and like, I, I don't, it doesn't matter what shirt I'm wearing. I'm not rooting for the team, but I've worn a twins shirt and I'm like, oh man, like my neighbor is a huge Indians fan. And so you're going to look and be like, this <laughs> motherfucker is covering the Indians and secretly rooting for Minnesota. Someone's going to, someone's going to run into you one day and ask to take a picture with you and they're going to tweet it out and you're going to be wearing some other team's colors and you're going to be the enemy of the state at that point. That's why I hope everyone listens to this podcast and hears this explanation <laughs> and lets me off the hook. Uh, hopefully you already subscribed to the podcast, which you can do at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, of course, Google Podcasts. And if you would like to be so kind as to support the podcast, you can find us on Anchor. We tweet out the, the links every single week at TJZP at Zach Meisel. And there is a button you can click to support the podcast. You can do so on a monthly basis. We do appreciate everyone that has taken the time to do that and help keep the podcast going on a weekly basis to talk about the baseball team here in town when they're going good when they're going bad and also bringing the random indian of the day i've got a good one a user a listener submitted <laughs> a user, a user. <laughs> <laughs> uh well that's i mean i pulled one up too but if you got one uh and the and it, it does come from a user <laughs> i would like <laughs> What if, if they're the if, same? If one? they're the user, are we the drug? I mean, what, what is that? Uh, I do want to say that on my flight home tonight from Minneapolis, the person in the seat next to me was wearing a Chris Perez jersey. So, shout out to Chris Perez and wow, it's amazing that I mentioned drug and you brought up Chris Perez <laughs> and whatever he's doing these days. Um, well, what if we have the same guy? I don't think we have the same guy. I actually went and picked someone somewhat recent because I feel like we always stick to the same years. And I I found one over the last. uh, Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You sure? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll do it after this. All right. If you insist, I will roll with the the guy I pulled up shortly before we started this podcast. Um, Let's see. What should we go with? First clue out of the gate. Uh, he was a right-handed thrower and a left-handed batter. Any clues? Any guesses? Which, what did he do? Did he bat or did he <laughs> throw? Uh, well, it depends on what league he was in. He was a pitcher. Those guys that bat left and are right-handed throwers. Uh, Mike Danny Freeman. S- <laughs> no, it is not Mike Freeman. Uh, Danny Salazar did that, and the Indians were like, uh, stop that. And he actually started <laughs> well, getting right-handed. Yeah, like they. <laughs> <laughs> no one in the organization knew if he had it lefty or righty. I don't think he knew. Do you think he knew what was right-handed and what was left-handed? He just picked up the bat and stood in the box. I mean, like, the what are you time, doing exposing your right arm? The last time I saw him pitch, it seemed like he was pitching left-handed. So I... Oh, yikes. Um, I believe Charles Nagy was also a left-handed batter and right-handed thrower, if memory serves. I'm sure there are more pitchers that do it, but it does seem weird that you would expose your pitching arm to the guy throwing 95 miles per hour in your direction. This guy, I don't think he threw 95 miles per hour. He pitched with the Indians in 2014. He spent uh, portions of 11 seasons in the major leagues. Uh, Career ERA of 422. So, not awful. Did you say he throws right-handed? 
He does throw right-handed. 2014, 2014 was with the Indians. 11-year career. Wow. Parts of 11 season. And again, 422 ERA in 385 career innings, 382 appearances. He did notch six saves over his career, and he finished 110 games. So he was the last pitcher on the mound 110 times, so only six times that he ever earned a save. 2014 was his only season with the Indians? Correct. Can you tell me how many appearances? I can. He pitched in seven games for the Indians, oh. finished one game, pitched seven innings, allowed ten hits, seven runs, but only three of them were earned. Didn't allow a couple of home runs, six walks. Four of the walks were intentional. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, and six strikeouts. Man, 2014 was such a blah year. Um, that was the only team he pitched for in the major leagues in 2014. Names that are coming to mind that I know it's not are Blake Wood, C.C. Lee, Scott Atchison. None of those. I'm trying to remember. That season was <clears> – All right. He pitched six – he spent parts of six years with Seattle. Had a 345 career ERA with Seattle. Also spent parts of three years with Texas. Once with Cleveland. One year with L.A., that uh, the Angels, Detroit, and Toronto. So he spent time with Seattle, Texas, Cleveland, Los Angeles, Detroit, and Toronto. It's not Chad Durbin. It's not Chad Durbin. Man, 2014 was weird. Who was – okay, so they had Cody Allen. They had – that was the year they got rid of Pistano. Chris Perez was gone. Joe Smith was gone. He was 31 years old when he pitched with the Indians. His final year in the big leagues was 2016 with Detroit. Uh, 54 appearances with Detroit in 2016. His first year in the majors was 2006. 54 appearances with Detroit. Yeah, in 2016. It's not Jeremy Accardo. No. It's not Jairo Asensio. It is not. Oh, man, this is going to kill me. Sometimes I think it's harder to remember the guys from three or four years ago than it is 15, 20. Well, that's true because when you're all of a sudden doing this for a living and guys go in and out of the clubhouse, years blend together. Mark Lowe? It was Mark Lowe. So Mark Lowe, I can't believe he pitched that long. Yeah. I remember I, – I, now I remember the Detroit clue gave it away. Mark Lowe was with the Indians for a few weeks. Jordan Bastian made <laughs> – for some reason vowed never to introduce himself to Mark Lowe. I think because he thought he, he wasn't going to last long. And he went a while. Like he was on the team I think once or twice where he was like on the team for a week but never pitched. Um, and we always joke that Jordan Bastian was just – so rude, never said hello to Mark Lowe, and then he was gone. Mark Lowe was a random jersey setting a couple years ago, too. That was one of the better ones. To give a few more details about Mark Lowe's career, drafted by the Mariners in the fifth round of the 04 draft, came out of the University of Texas at Arlington, uh, went to Fort Bend Baptist Academy for high school, and... 
trying to think if there's any other or look if there's any other <laughs> the most similar pitcher according to similarity scores on baseball reference Junichi Tazawa oh I liked him cool name the most similar pitcher other pitchers similar to his career Tim Crabtree Manny Corpus Anthony Telford Nick Massett Terry Matthews, J.J. Hoover, and Blaine Boyer. To the more elite, you know. A, elite company to be in there for Mark Lowe. Well, I hope that was worth delaying our, our fans' one demand that he had this week. Well, it, yeah, we didn't have the same one, so we'll save it for, for next time. I, I thought we should bring out a... You're right. The newer ones are definitely harder to remember because the... The, what, the reason why we started this whole thing and the thing it's called is Sel- the Selby is Godcast. We both grew up uh, in the Cleveland area, grew up as Indians fans when we were younger. Are we waiting until uh, like episode 120 here to, to tell people the reason for starting the podcast? The reason for starting the podcast? Like, I feel like this is something we should have talked about in episode one. Didn't we talk about the reason for starting the podcast? Didn't we talk about it with Bill Selby when he had him on, uh, had him on the podcast to say the reason why it's the name the Selby is Godcast is because we, we have an, a, a certain uh, affinity, appreciation for the, the guys that aren't necessarily stars but had big moments or somehow stood out. The Randominians always, to, to the both of us as we were growing up, kind of had a a special place in your heart. And that's why it is named the Selby's Godcast because it's kind of a tip of the cap uh, to all of those former players that we talk about every single week as the random meeting of the day. Yeah, I remember I used to be so, well, used to be. Uh, I was so bad at Twitter in like 2011 and even earlier, 20, yeah, I think 2011 was my first year. Um, and I remember I, I did like a, random ending of the day on Twitter. Um, and it's funny because I, over the weekend, like Mandy Bell and I were digging up our old tweets and just being so embarrassed. Um, and mine, like as TJ, as you know, like my first four tweets ever were about the Seattle Seahawks for some reason. Cause that was the game I was watching on TV that day. Um, but, but like my tweets were just so embarrassing and stupid and lame and, but every day you got one random Indian and his stats and accomplishments. And like, that was, I'm glad that that's something that has stuck, something that has endured. Um, Cause like you said, yeah. Well, especially those guys that we are so quick to forget about, like they're fun. They deserve some recognition. Yeah. And I'm always scanning to see the, the next one that comes to town that has some sort of connection to this podcast, because I feel like, you know, it's been almost a year since we did the, the Selby Hulbert Cabrera uh, podcast. That was so like, much fun. I feel like we at some point need to, to update that with another uh, random guest on a certain episode. I will say the one guy who we need to get on, who it would be possible to do, Paul Shuey, like tells the best <laughs> stories from the 90s. Um, so we should, we should add that to the uh, to-do list. Maybe do right. a bonus mark, episode or something. Mark it down. Mark it down. Write it down. There on your little notepad. Unfortunately, you won't be able to read what you wrote because you write like a mouse. But uh, but write it down anyways. Done. Thank you.
Well, it's been a fun, fun week. What, what is going to happen next? Are you asking me? Well, yeah, I figured you had some sort of inclination of what is going to happen this week. We just got done telling you. We, we don't know. Just let them play the games. No, nah, there's, there's some part of you that knows. No, it's going to be – this is going to be like – this twin series obviously was a good test, but I think a big part of the next – what is it, 10 days-ish, 11 days, these guys are going to get exhausted. Mm-hmm. Maybe more mentally than physically. It's they're in a stretch of thirty-seven games in thirty-eight days. They're going to spend eight days in New York, which is like six days too many. Um, it's it's going to be a test. And so again, it doesn't always matter like the competition you're playing necessarily because I don't think anyone would say, "Oh, the Mets are a lot tougher than the Twins." No, it, it's just it's when you meet certain teams. It's what you've just had to go through. Uh, this is it's going to be a test, so it it'll be interesting. Like it, it's it's tough for them that they don't have Monday off here. You know, they they might be dragging going into the first game of this Boston series, and they don't get an off day until a week from Monday. So it'll be interesting. So glad you brought that up. By the way, the grind and having to go through this, the mental portion of surviving the season. Because it's something I wanted to talk about. And in my brain, I, I constantly I, – I have to write down, like, little mental reminders for myself. And unfortunately, I'm outside. I don't have anything to write down, anything. So I had forgotten that I wanted to bring that up. And so I, at points, will ramble as my brain is just trying to remember what it is that I wanted to talk about. And there, you brought it up. So before we get out of here, I do want to say – I think it's one of the most uh, – we, we, talk we talked about this end, endlessly leading up to and after the Astros playoff series last year about you know, do, do teams have to play close games going down the stretch. And this, is, this has been a chicken and the egg sort of debate for since, probably since sports began uh, competitively where you talk about rust and rest and – teams that go in and having to win every single game and it's like a playoff atmosphere for the week going in and then they're somehow better prepared and whether or not that's actually a thing you know i i think a lot of that is probably bullshit i don't think there's some magic formula to make this uh work or not work the one thing i think is tangible and i we maybe even talked about this a little bit last year these the, the one thing this game these sorts of games do that going into the playoffs, having your division wrapped up three weeks to a month in advance, or even the case of last year from opening day on knowing you're going to make the playoffs is that, yeah, it better prepares you in some ways to know what to expect in playoff sorts of atmospheres. But the, the thing I think is actually tangible is that it prepares you mentally for the grind of the game. And as much as it physically takes a toll, mentally it takes a toll too to be in games where every pitch matters, where every, everything is hanging in the balance on every throw and every play. And I think those sorts of things can wear you down if you're not having to go through that sort of grind so that when you get in that position, you can play in a game and almost be exhausted by the sixth or seventh inning because it's kicking your ass physically and mentally to be that involved in games. And it's the one thing that I think 
there is a tangible benefit to having. Of course, you just want to be set up and not have to worry about fighting for your playoff lives because there's a chance you might not make it if that's the case. But I do think that's the one tangible benefit to playing games like the Indians are playing right now, where it's, yeah, you're, you're finding about, out about yourselves against elite talent. There's something to that, I think, just from a confidence standpoint. But just being in these sorts of games and kind of getting, I guess the best way I can put it is mentally stretched out enough that when you get into another playoff sort of atmosphere that it's not foreign and you're not dragging by the fifth or sixth or seventh inning and getting your ass kicked late. I think there's something to it. It's the only portion of the debate that I think is something you can actually point to that I think is real. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind the, the 95 Indians clinched on September 8th. They won the division by 30 games. And then they had to play the second best team in the American League because of stupid scheduling and rules quirks that year. And they didn't have home field advantage either. <laughs> and yet they still swept the Red Sox, you know, what, four yeah. weeks after they clinched? I mean, it, it, I mean, the biggest determination is always going to be talent and playing right. well at the right time. But yeah. I think there's something – I think there's there's at least some something to the – the physical and mental grind that that can well, I'm yeah, I'm I'm more that saying, can put you in that position. I'm more, uh, I'm more saying like, you can't just say the Indians got swept last season because they didn't have competition. Down yeah, the I think stretch. that's I think that's right. silly. So it, it it can go either way, but you're right. Yeah, especially for a young team, again, like it's good for this team to had to go through that Minnesota series and come out learning a lot about themselves. That can only help you moving forward. And we'll be here to recap every step of the way moving forward. For Zach Meisel, I'm TJ Zuppi. Neither of us will be retweeting your old tweets, and we hope that you don't do the same to us. We're out of here. See ya.